Hello and welcome tonight to our double premiere of Plastic Climate Future because it's the first time that we are partnering with another organization and uh, this one is Circularize and we're just kicking off our special series on sustainable polymer technologies and that's why I have Maspa Sabur with me and the other premiere is that uh, we're trying to do a first video podcast so you also see our faces while we're talking um, if this will be a good idea we will judge afterwards <laughs> but uh, yeah, let me uh, first say hello to Mesba, my co-host today, the co-founder of Circularize, and then also introduced our very special guest that we have tonight. Hello, Mesba. Nice to have you here. Uh, hi, Matt. Well, pleasure being here. Thanks so much for, for allowing me to co-host this. Looking forward to it. And also, the video is a different experience, I would say, but I, I, I'm starting to like it. So looking forward to this. and watching and judging ourselves afterwards yeah we already we already discussed before that the light is the most important so we were playing already for half an hour with our lights but uh i think the the shining light tonight is uh, our guest because we are honored today to have uh, thomas the ceo from uh, total carbon with us to talk today with us about the challenges and uh, the future of bio-based polymer technologies so in that sense hello thomas hey good uh, good evening or good afternoon to you guys yeah yeah my name is thomas philippo indeed i'm the ceo of total energy Corbion. We just changed our name, so we, we thought it was not complicated enough, so we have extended it <laughs> to, to be named after uh, our current company called Total Energy and the other one called Corbion. So, indeed, it's Total Energy Corbion, but we'll talk more about that. Ah, perfect, perfect. And where are you tuning in from, Thomas? Uh, today I'm calling out of Geneva, where I have my home, oh. but uh, the company is headquartered in the Netherlands, in a small village nice. called Horkem. So you have to help me in the pronunciation. I'm not native, but I've been told it's like Horkum. But we have to, to pronounce it. Yeah, Horkum. Yeah, it's a hard one. It's Horkum. <laughs> it, it is this one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one. This was one of the reasons why I chose to to do the podcast series with Mespa to to have some help, help on the Dutch the, names. The Dutch pronunciation. <laughs> that's my role tonight. <laughs> Yeah, thanks a lot uh, for your time, Thomas, and, and, and for, for giving us the chance to dive uh, into not only the activities of Total Energy Scorpion, but also uh, giving some insights and outlook on uh, the future of bio-based uh, polymers. Um, before we start, we have actually as a plastic climate future also big interest to get to know the person who is uh, behind the innovations and companies that we highlight in our podcast so maybe you can tell us a bit more about the person thomas and uh, how you got to the job or position that you have today and maybe uh, about some interesting pivots uh, during during your career that led you to sustainable polymers yeah no sounds good sounds good i i did reflect a bit on uh, on who i am and why i'm here and i think it's good when you get into 50 years of age to have a good idea of why you're here um, no, but joke apart, I'm, uh, I'm really, as you can understand from my accent, I'm from France. I've been always uh, studying and, uh, and being basically educated in France. So I'm, uh, I think I'm pretty normal uh, French uh, engineer from that standpoint, which is not normal with me, is that I start traveling around. So very early on my careers, I, I went abroad. So I lived in three continents in five different countries, and I never worked in France. So that's a bit the fun fact about myself. But this is really above uh, the point. I was trying to think more about why I'm in sustainability. And 
that is a moment that I could actually trace back, which was very specific. So I'm also a proud father of two children. One of them is a, is a boy, you know, he's 17, and the girl is about 14 years old. But at one point, when the boy was about 10 years old, uh, I remember vividly uh, telling him how to do different things. And there is one moment where I was very proud of, is uh, we went together to the recycling uh, center. And at that moment, I was not only helping him, you know, because he was too small to get into his <laughs> hole and just drop the bottle. And then I realized, you know what, I think it's the right thing to do. So that, that was very vivid with me, and he, I kept that with me. I, at the time, I was working for DuPont, a very, uh, very well-known company when it comes to specialty polymer or specialty resins. It's a famous plastic world. Uh, already there, I was known as a plastic guy with a green mind. So I always uh, inherited those plastics that nobody really knew how to position. It's uh, partially bio-based, uh, it can be recycled. What can you do about it? And I ended up having all these little uh, projects or businesses uh, with me during my career, the more I was going up. So at one point, I had that pleasure and that opportunity huh, to drop a ship between brackets from very good plastic school and go to this initiative, which is really a, a joint venture between two giants. One is called Total Energy. The other one is called Corbion. So one is really uh, doing the best they can in order to ferment bio-based material. And the other one is doing what they can and the best they can in order to to be able to put solution on the market based on polymers. So now I'm leading this initiative, which is really taking uh, the bio-based uh, material and turning it to a, into a solution. So I'm basically here not only to do the right thing, like I was doing with Antoine, but I'm also here uh, to share back uh, what I learned, uh, how I, we can make a business out of uh, bringing solution to a market. And I'm pretty proud to do that in a, in a sustainable way now. Cool. Um, this is kind of like uh, honey in my ears. I don't know if you would say that, but <laughs> music. It's, uh, yeah, it's music. Yeah, it's music in my ears um, because uh, I think this connects all of us, uh, including uh, also Mespa and 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 our passion from Plastic Climate Future about you know creating awareness and and bringing out this passion to. To our listeners and and our audience, yeah, it's it's, it's great to hear that you're you, you've been known as the green plastic guy. So this has been throughout the, your DNA, throughout your career. It's not something that just is now a hot topic, as I, as I hear. Um, Maybe may good to kind of start off also on uh, talking a little bit about PLA. What what is PLA? What is it special about? I, I, I guess not everybody knows about it. And how would you explain it to your kids? And, and how would you explain it to a little bit more of an expert? Sure, sure thing indeed. That's uh, that's three different letters, and uh, then I said, okay, I'm gonna explain it to you. It's called polylactic acid, and then the face changes, right? It's not very much helping, right? So let's put it in a different angle. I mean, the PLA, huh, the, the polylactic acid, is is what we all call a plastic. So if you see it, you touch it, it would feel and seem very similar to a plastic. But there are very much differences to it. First and foremost, it's coming from sugarcane. So basically what we use as a very much of a, as a material to start with is uh, the sugarcane. You take the sugar from the sugarcane and you ferment it. Fermentation is basically you leave it somewhere, a bit of uh, heat, a bit of uh, humidity, and it turns into something else called lactic acid. And this is really the ingredient that I would use in order to turn it into a plastic. So I go from, if you want, uh, basically a field with sugarcane and with several operations, then you end up with something which looks like a pellet, which is a plastic pellet. And this is what we sell in order to make the items that we all touch every day, a bottle, a film, some uh, thermal foam trays, which is really the trays where you have all your uh, vegetable in it or where you have basically some of the fruits. So this could be very under multi multiform shapes. And this is really what is super for us because today what we have is a new kid on the block, a plastic which looks like plastic, but is not plastic, which is done in a sustainable way. And we are basically very busy trying to find a place where we could replace basically petrochemical based 
plastic, which are coming from fossil energy that you cannot get in a rebuttable manner, and replace that with something that you grow and grow back. So that's the very first and foremost difference, right? You are using what we call renewable carbon, something that you can uh, uh, re replant if you want. So that's one first uh, and foremost difference. That's the start of life, we call it. The other big difference with this type of plastic is you can give some very positive end of life to that plastic. So depending on the application, sometimes if I'm taking an example, if you have a, a tea bags, there is a lot of tea in there and there is basically a bit of a film of plastic around it, actually a non-woven uh, solution. And this you could use a PLA and then you don't have to recycle or to, to burn basically this plastic part. This type of plastic would be what we call compostable. So think about it that way, you take not only the tea bag, but actually the packaging of the tea bag and you put it in your compost and it would just not damage your health, it would actually enrich it and you would go away. So that's one of the end of life of this special plastic, but we can also have access to recycling streams and the PLA is easy to recycle and I can turn it also in a different type of uh, use after the recycling. So it's uh, basically completely bio-based, coming from the uh, renewable resource. It is biodegradable or compostable, as I said, for the little tea bags. But I can also recycle bottles made out of PLA as a normal uh, plastic to recycle. So it has also this type of uh, properties. So that's fine difference when you are in the industry, it's huge. When you are from the outside, you need to understand that we can do basically a lot of different uh, plastic items now with bioplastics and with the PLA in particular. That is so interesting because PLA is not like in, in, in traditional, like let's say you, you talk about PP, you can have it bio-based or you can have it based on, on fossil fuels. But in, in case of PLA, PLA is just because it's PLA, it's bio-based. Like there is no uh, alternative. It is bio-based just by, it's not like, it's on a slightly different level. So it, when it's PLA, you don't even question whether it's bio-based or compostable because it is PLA because it is that. So it's a very different thing. And it's not really like with more traditional plastics that's more common to, to people like polyesters, et cetera. It's not where does this polyester come from? Is it bio or fossil? In case of PLA, if it's PLA, you know, which is quite interesting and, and, and it's a different proposition really. Is, is there any um, negative sides on PLA compared to traditional plastic? Is there some things that they can do uh, or, or is it just equally in terms of the chemistry? It's just like a different source. Yeah, I know that's a very good question. And, uh, and part of our uh, motto in our company is definitely transparency. I think we come back to that, and uh, but we want to be able to educate uh, the world, right? And uh, we are very much fact-based. You can go and check every single thing we post because we want to be part of that discussion in a positive way. So it would be really wrong for me to tell you that PLA is the solution for everything, which would be equally wrong is to say, okay, you can uh, have only polyester or only polypropylene or only polyethylene. I mean, it does not work like this, right? You need to basically adapt uh, a solution to a certain situations. So with PLA, what is possible today are the main, I would say, low-level application where we could basically uh, have a proposition. So I'm talking about the shopping bags, you know, that you can find. I told you already about some of the thermoform trays, you know. These days, they don't really need too much performance, as we say in the industry. So they are relatively easy and they are good to start with. So that's really where we started. But no, the more we know about PLA, and that is really fun for me and being in the plastic industry, is we find more and more applications for PLA. We change slightly the formulation, always being bio-based, having basically the same footprint, but you can be a bit, you can play on the viscosity of the polymer, you can play a bit on the the, the formulation with other bioplastics. So we get into different types of uh, application. And that is really the challenge is to say, okay, how can we replace more and more of these petrochemical based uh, resins with PLA? So I think the shortcoming, uh, if I want to put it in a positive manner, is the fact that we are new. We are really the new kid on the block, so it's. Uh, I, I would love to be able to even go a bit uh, quicker in replacing more, but we need time. We need time to do the right thing and not to jump to, uh, too, too quick to conclusions that we can replace everything. So, but uh, yeah, there are things we can do today. 
the challenge is uh, in working and trying to find what are the other applications we can do tomorrow. Day after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with, within the bio-based polymer space, like I think when no one looks back to the scaling up of bio-based solutions on an industrial scale, um, at least that's kind of my perception that PLA is still like the yeah the the Ferrari among uh, the new bio-based scalable solutions. Is it still like now from from an insider like you? Would you still see PLA being you know the most versatile and the most scaled up in terms of applications and and capacity, or do you also see now new bio-based polymers on the horizon, which uh, which uh, yeah could could either be competitive or, or which have also maybe the possibility to, to scale up in the same way or even better than PLA? Yeah, no, th thanks for the, so the question. I was stuck a bit with the Ferrari because uh, I was thinking <laughs> about why saying that. Is it about the speed of the development? Is it about the, uh, the, the fact that it's very expensive or the fact that actually it's uh, red? So <laughs> in my head, I was trying to reconnect the image, but... Uh, now, joke, joke apart, I think uh, you, you're correct to say that PLA is the one which is, uh, if you think about the volume and the tonnage put out there, is one of the top uh, bioplastics. Huh? That is correct. I mean, we have a sizable size, and that's something that coming from the plastic industry, I understand you need size. You know, when you talk to a Procter & Gamble, when you talk to an Elever, you talk to L'Oreal, you need to bring innovation but you need also to bring the scale. So that's something that sometimes in the bioplastic industry, and, and for good reason, at the beginning, you focus on an innovation, you focus on a solution, and you focus on the R&D part. But when you really want to, uh, to propose a solution, especially with the, the big guys I mentioned, you definitely need size. So on the size, I would tend to agree with you. Yeah, definitely, that is one of the few which has dimension, right, size. Having said that, you, you say, okay, what is the industry I'm playing in? I'm playing in, in the plastic industry. I mean, last year it was 400 million tons produced, right? So I think the total industry of bioplastics, I mean, if, it's, if you take everything together, I mean, just the PLA by itself, if you want, is around 300,000 tons, yeah? So you have this type of scale, right? So you have to, to think about what is the story uh, you, you want to tell. <clears throat> so in a way, yes, PLA, you could argue that it's one of the biggest and largest, but it's very far from really bringing solutions to, to the rest, yeah? The bioplastic altogether, it's 1% of, of the total market, right? So that, that is altogether, right? So imagine about that, not uh, only PLA. So that's kind of one part of the answer. Um, the other part of your question was saying, okay, is there anything else? Yes, uh, yes, there is other material developing and it's good. As I said a bit uh, earlier, when you're thinking about the industry of the plastic, you don't have only one petrochemical based plastic. You need to have a basket in order to answer different needs. Guess what? In bioplastic, it's exactly the same. We need to have uh, some material which would be able more to replace PE type and then you have actually the starch-based compound, for example. They are very good at that, replacing some of the PP application, they can do that. You have the PHAs or PHBs that are coming with a very nice value proposition when you, can, when you think about the compostability. So you have, again, I'm, I'm taking two examples, but there is myriads of uh, little guys that are, are coming up, and we need them, right? So we need all this. We need to create this portfolio in order to be able to compete and replace even quicker. Uh, some of that. So that is the part that is also very uh, exciting is to be able to collaborate. And uh, I, I will never, and that's maybe a bit bizarre coming from this industry, but I'm pretty happy when I'm hearing that there is new PLA capacity in the world, right? I'm pretty happy when I'm hearing that PHA is uh, taking some application that PLA cannot take, right? These are good news. They are good news for us. I mean, it's a market where just growth is here for everybody. And we should all benefit from each other. So that's, that is also a nice, uh, a nice industry to be in uh, from that standpoint. Yeah. 
given given that um, in bio and, and we, we've been kind of working in this field for 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 a couple of years now one thing that i've heard often is bio based plastics could compete with food given that pla is kind of sourced from sugarcane and diabetics is like on the rise would you think that's a good thing that you're taking away from the sugar that we otherwise would eat and just have like two birds in one stone actually that eat less sugar converted into like bio-based plastics that's a win-win to me yeah. am i missing something <laughs> no but we get that question a lot and and there is a bit of a positioning behind that question just to be very transparent but then you what we try to do as a company huh, and also as an individual is to look at the facts what are we really talking about i mean and I will start by a, an image I'm sharing because most of the time people, they don't even realize, but uh, where does the uh, paper come from? You know, I mean, we, we are all used in certain way to not to question some and to question others. And again, that's fine. I'm, I'm for the debate. Huh? So then you say, okay, fair enough. You, you would use basically some material coming from, from uh, basically a plant that could be used to do something else and, and to, to be able to feed people, right? Okay, fair enough. So what you're using basically space, uh, arable land that you could be using. So the first question is, are we, are we limited by the arable land? No, not at all. I think there is plenty that we can also refurbish and valorize. That's another level of the answer. And then the last one, or even the, the last before the last, will be to say, okay, how much do you use for this material today, and uh, even if we are growing in the next five years, I mean, it's. I think we have some numbers. It's in our website. It's 0.01 percent of the total arable land, right? And uh, and definitely, even if we grow like hell, I'm saying we're doubling everything. Maybe it's gonna get to 0.02 percent. Okay. So it's it is uh, it is an interesting challenge, and that's a challenge we're working on. To be fair. So we're working also on second generation, third generation. We are putting some innovation money in order to say, okay, what if we don't use the sugar from the from the cane, but maybe the plant, you know, the leftover on the field? We are working on that. But I want also to stress the fact that we are a business. So in order to be able to invest in the next generation, generation two or three, we would need to continue to, uh, to valorize what we have today, to, to find solutions, to learn, you know, to continue to move. So it's, uh, there are different levels of answer to that question. But honestly, it's a good question to be asking ourselves. But let's also put everything on the table in a, in a, in, in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not, nothing is, is, is perfect, right? I, I, I guess it makes sense. Uh, given the opportunity and and given the small amount like it's 0.01% you said like that that's just a no brainer right like it, that's not at least not at this stage a reason also for it to be a deal breaker at all like it's worth really exploring and especially if you say there's opportunities to really move to the second or third generation of that like that and it's a huge potential that i see actually yeah and i and i think this is exactly also because we're, it's not the first time that we talk about um, bio-based solutions on uh, plastic climate future and many times or oftentimes the critical points uh, are brought up you know in terms of yeah but bioplastics are just one percent of the total plastic need and you know or uh, it's it's being sourced from you know food uh, from land that could be used for food and so on but i think one uh, advantage or one one uh, the most important thing is is also to look at the sustainability the positive sustainability effects of scaling up these solutions. And uh, we used to say always, like, when you look at the challenges of uh, bio-based plastics uh, today and that they only make, you know, 1% of the total market. I mean, when plastics were introduced, they were also making 1% of the steel market, for example. And then with time, with uh, 100 years of, of research and, and efficiency improvements at scale also. And I think here we have a chance that we should we should also point out uh, 
uh, as, as, as crucial that with these solutions, we have uh, a carbon sink, we have, you know, um, a material solution that can be used for very diverse applications, as you mentioned in the beginning, and still be sustainable and still, uh, yeah, be even circular, as you mentioned, the biodegradability. Um, yeah, and just uh, pointing out this uh, this fact, uh, I stumbled upon a nice, uh, interesting video uh, on YouTube that you have on your website, which says, uh, or you talk about how much CO2 does PLA actually save? So... Now, from, from your perspective, why is this also a very important question to ask when it comes to, you know, sustainable polymer solutions? And, yeah, how much does it actually save? <laughs> That's a quiz, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, it's, uh, it, it's a number I happen to know by heart because we are super proud of it. And uh, I'm, say, I'm saying that being also honest, you know, uh, that is no joke. I mean, that's why I'm waking up every day. You know, if you wake up every day and you say, you know what, if I can convince somebody to use the PLA, I know that it's going to be 75% less CO2 in the atmosphere starting there, right? So from what we call cradle to gate, I know that uh, compared to a basket of PPE, PET, PS, uh, in, in average, it's going to be 75% of CO2 in, CO2, sorry, in the air. So that's that is really a personal driver. <laughs> I think it's very much shared with the company in the company. Huh? We know why we are here, uh, and then why is it important? That's correct. I mean, why we would care? I mean, I think we start knowing why we care. Huh? We see all this uh, deregulation of the weather. It's becoming even more obvious why we should care. But at the end of the day, it's also a matter of uh, how do we, what do we want to do? How do we want to deal with the carbon? And I think that is that is really the, the carbon economy, uh, the, the footprint. How do you want to, to minimize our our action? So, with us, basically the, the the PLA, you have the first this saving that I mentioned. So when I'm producing, I'm a bit uh, less. I'm, I'm basically exhausting less CO2 in the atmosphere. But the other piece is what I start describing. There is even some very nice positive end of life for this uh, carbon, which we can regenerate, by the way. And what can we do with it? Okay, we can put it back in the earth, in the earth, right? And to put it in the compost and in the uh, in the earth that's going to be producing maybe the next generation of PLA through the plants. Or we can also recycle it. I think um, something that actually we are pretty proud to be to have launched a couple of years ago was the first grade of what we call recycled PLA. And people would can say, okay, why you would do that? Same same story. I want to make sure that this carbon, even though it's a photogenic carbon or if it's a renewable carbon, I want to keep it in use as long as I can. And why I should not do that is not because I'm a bioplastic, that it's not a good idea to give him another life. So we have been putting a, basically a, a commercial offering huh, where we proposed 20, 30% of recycled PLA. So uh, basically a PLA which has been done with... Uh, collected waste PLA if you want and we want to give that also a chance so depending on the application there are some applications where it makes more sense to get uh, basically a, a compostability end of life, there are other applications where the uh, recycling end of life would be, would be the best mechanical or chemical but this is uh, on top so basically you start with a positive impact from cradle to gate so in the production 75% less and then on top, if you have the right application, the right end of life, you can even give it a, a better positive turn. So overall, I think it's a win-win for all of us. And we continue to use as efficiently as possible the carbon, especially the renewable carbon that we, we put to start with. And just one question to this one. What are the most important arguments for your clients? Are they mostly interested in the, the sustainability or circularity aspects? Or is, are there any other arguments that they would be looking for PLA? Yeah, I think we... Sometimes I get that question, okay, who are your customers? What do they want? What do they care? To be honest with you, it starts with us. <laughs> So when we are in front of that shelf, when you make that move to take uh, any of this, this product, what do we want? 
let's start there. This is um, maybe oversimplifying, but this is really the truth. I mean, first of all, you want to take something. It could be an article, it could be a packaging, it could be a, a product, product that would work, right? So I think we, we should also realize that we all like to save the world. We all want to do the right thing, but first you need to have a product or an item which works, right? So the performance is really key. I mean, I've, I've been now 20 years in that uh, in that industry. It's very, I, I think I've never seen any trade-off compared to a sustainability footprint thing, which is not working. Yeah? So I think let's be also honest with each other here. You need to bring the performance, we need to bring something which works, right? First and foremost. And then definitely, uh, when you have something which works, which does not Im impact the brand image of, a, let's take an end user, yeah, they have also their own uh, pledge, their own challenges. They want to do the right thing for good reason, right? So they would pick up basically solutions which are bringing a positive impact uh, to their operation. And that's where the PLA is coming into play, or the bioplastic as a whole is coming to play, or sustainable offering, right? They would basically pick up that one because that's helping them to, to do the right thing, yeah? to downgrade their footprint. So that could be all. That is definitely an element in the decision. And then the last but not the least, which is the economical uh, trade-off, right? Uh, we tend to be still uh, on the premium side, so there are applications also from an economical standpoint that would be validated, some not, but we have more and more of those discussions because they don't look only at the, the pure costs with just the, uh, the cost of the raw material. No, more and more, they're looking at their total footprint, uh, how much basically it would uh, save them, if you want, huh, to be less... Uh, CO2 uh, uh, hungry, uh, how do they, do they curve that? They take that also into account in the, in the discussion now. So there is this kind of three level of, of discussion huh, about the performance, obviously the sustainability, but at the end of the day, it's also an economical choice. Yeah? Hmm. Yeah, I think once we start also, you know, considering life cycle costs and, and uh, CO2 taxation, I think there your arguments will be even stronger. Now, we are, this is a very good point. Huh? I think at the end of the day, um, there is really little uh, things we cannot uh, do if we don't get there, right? I mean, the debate is, uh, is has already started. I think we're going to get more and more of this debate. What is really the price of this carbon, you know, and how do we uh, valorize it? Huh? It's, uh, it's not a cheap uh, resource, so we need to make sure we, we do good use of it. So we are pretty also, um, I would say, present in many of these uh, debates in the different countries, and as you know, it's, it's quite uh, different, uh, the regions where you are, but everybody is trying to find uh, the best solution to that. I believe it's part also of our uh, job, uh, part of our, uh, I would say, activities uh, to be present in those debates uh, being in Europe or in the US or in Asia. Uh, I ask all my leadership team members to be actually in the board of the different uh, industry association or different lobby groups in order to be present and share data, share positivity and uh, also uh, the reassurance that there are solutions. Huh? We are not completely doomed to use the same type of things forever. Yeah, so uh, I would like to kind of hook it on, onto this because you're saying, you know, what's the price of carbon? How do you valorize it? Uh, to what degree, and you kind of hinted on this already, is transparency really key there and is really a key driver? Um, and and what, what kind of activities do you do when it comes to transparency? Do you use certain frameworks or standards or, or tools, uh, if, if, if at all? Yes, uh, I think it's yes to all of the above. <laughs> 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 no, but uh, the first, first thing, and again, we, we are very proud of that, is to be super transparent uh, to what we, what we do uh, and what is the impact. And uh, I think we have, uh, we have done uh, with the existing model already our life cycle assessment huh, uh, very early in the process, and we have put it on our website. Uh, we put the version we use, we put all the source that we're using. We, we are super transparent. I think we are also in the middle of reassessing it because we have done a lot of progress in our production uh, process. So we will be able even to to have a, a lower impact uh, LCA, proven and, and audited. So that, that is something that we're doing. So start with be transparent about your impact, 
we are also very uh, much transparent about all the certification that we have for our product. You know, I mentioned the fact that we are uh, we are compostable. Okay, we are not saying it. We, we get somebody else to say it. <laughs> so we are completely uh, following all the standards, being the SCDM in the US, being the uh, EN13432 here in Europe, or you have other standards in Korea. We are very much proud of it. So we are working and making sure that we got everything certified. There is no question about uh, the fact it's uh, it's positive and it does what we said it would do. So that's very important. But the last leg is actually being part also of the discussion in the different countries about uh, and be, a, 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 I would say, a resource for all this legislative body. And because, let's face it, I mean, bioplastic is pretty new. Who knows, you know, how to handle this, how to mimic, how to follow, what are the standards? So we, we are really proud of being part of these different uh, uh, committees in the different regions, being at a, a regional level, being in the industry level, but we, we want also to impact that discussion. So. Definitely, we do. Uh, we are transparent about our own impacts. We we are transparent about all the certifications, um, and we really want to continue to work on designing the next uh, the next layer of, uh, of of legislation, which will be even more uh, visible and, and transparent. Just one quick question on on this specifically. Like I I, I see. You know, you're you're doing the audits, uh, the th the third party validation of some of these claims, which is this is very very important. Uh, following international standards, being super transparent about the LCA, um, and at the same time, earlier you were saying it also kind of starts with us, like making the right choices as a consumer. Uh, how do you translate that? What you are doing, very much upstream essentially very technical to the hands of a consumer who has no idea about all of this stuff. No, that's, that's a very good point. Huh? That's a very good point. And so it's also a realization, huh? uh, including us being in the industry. Sometimes you have this package in your hand and say, what is the right, the right action here? Where, which bin I should uh, aim at, right? Uh, am I doing the right thing there? I and mean, where I, I should put it? So we're all consumer at the end and we all have this dilemma, right? So I think the more we can educate uh, the different uh, people through the value chain, huh? it does, it's not only the last consumer, but it could be also, uh, I have this, we have been very vocal about the fact that PLA can be sorted in any uh, sorting center across the world. Actually, you can just tap a button on this optical sorting machine and it would pick up not only PLA from the rest of the plastic, but it could also pick up green PLA from transparent PLA. So the technology is there, right? So do we know that? Yes, yeah, because we get into that industry, we know now. So we can answer technically some of the things that we could not before. So you can educate through the value chain, not only the final customer, but going back to your specific question, in the final customers, you need to help as much as you can. Uh, and, did, and we are pretty vocal about the labeling, right? The labeling needs to be there in order to help the person to do the right thing. And it needs to be true. So it's also part of the of the, our position. You need not only to develop those standards, but you need to make sure that there is a, a right ecosystem with it, uh, the right uh, environment in order to make them applied. And and this is also the work of of the industry, the work of the of, of the society. Huh? At the end of the day, this is part of it. And but we see progresses. Huh? We see progresses, and not only in Europe. Um, maybe I'm digressing. But I've been in China recently, and uh, and you have basically know the kids. They are taught at school uh, which bins, and then they go back home and they do the game with their parents, saying, "Hey, Dad, you know where to put this thing? It's here, and not there." So you know these these are really positive example. I'm trying also to to cascade and share because we can do very little things, and they have a, a huge impact. So we all need to to act. Yeah, I, I got this vision of like in in the nineties um, in 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 the US, they introduced this nutrition labeling fact. Where prior to that, if you bought food, there was nothing on it. Like there was no fat percentage or calories. No, no one knew about it. Like now, people know what it means because it's been standardized pretty much internationally. Why are we not doing the same thing for non-food products? Right? 
it starts, as you rightly say, with education and standardization, and then also making sure you know the data is there, people understand the numbers, and, and is validated and, yeah. and trustworthy. And, and to be to be also transparent, I think technology now is immensely superior to, to I think uh, what five years ago, ten years ago. So we can do basically what we want. You know, uh, we can have as much information as we want. We can read as much information as we want. We I think the technology and uh, the tools is not is not the problem. I mean, we have everything we need. No, we need really to collaborate, design ourselves, you know, to understand what we want to do. But we have everything we need. I think collaboration is really critical here. Mm. Yeah, uh, the keyword of collaboration. I wanted to come back to this um, uh, because you, like we said in the beginning, we have this 1% of, you know, bio-based plastics and so on. And I, and what are the chances or what has to be done um, to actually, you know, grow this percentage? And I think uh, that's what I heard now over this conversation already a couple of times. It's also about, you know, disseminating the knowledge, but also I think collaboration. And and you just mentioned, you you know, you collaborate with the sorters. You, you try to be also... Uh, close to the policy makers. Uh, do you see this as, as really also crucial to, to be uptaken by other uh, industries in that sense or other um, yeah, um, bioplastic producers and then material innovators in this space? Is this now also picking up due to the sustainability discussion? Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated question, uh, but but okay, if you step back, uh, mm-hmm. okay, let me even step two, two step back. The beauty of the plastic industry is that complexity. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a chemical engineer by training. I've been working a bit in the pharmaceutical industry and I bump into the plastic industry a bit by chance. You know, I say, okay, let me start that. But then I realized that the plastic industry is much more complex than the pharmaceutical industry. And that is not obvious, huh? but when you think about what we need to master is not only to understand the material, we need to understand the converting process, we need to understand myriads of applications because plastic could be in different type of applications, so different industry, different trends, different performance. So it's, it's a myriad of different dimensions. So now you say, okay, let's do something quick and easy and then let's basically replace all these other things which has been developed for maybe 50 years, you know, uh, or, or, or even, you know, 70 years for some plastic. So it does not work like that, right? So it's complex. So you need a, you need really to, to take all the value chain players, uh, align them, and, and to deliver a solution which is as performing as the other thing, which has been basically developed for many years. So it is complex, okay? But having said that, so what? I mean, we've done it with the rest, the other plastic. So why we cannot repeat that, right? But we need to have these ecosystems. And uh, in order to, to do this right and to accelerate even, to go back to your original question, we need to find those collaborations. And we need to create not only the collaborations through the value chains, so going from the raw material producer to the end users and, and trying to find a solution together, but around us, you need to have the right uh, environment, ecosystem. So what I mean by that is indeed uh, the legislation needs to be there. I think some incentives, you know, uh, the carbon uh, the carbon tax, yeah, could, could be there to help all these discussions. Uh, the labeling, the legislation, the uh, agreement between countries about some of the imports, exports. You, you need all of that to be also in place to, to accelerate. But I think I want to stay with a positive message. The collaboration is happening. We are delivering more and more solutions. I mean, think about it. Uh, last year, we developed uh, the face mask out of PLA. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if you're in the industry, you understand that face mask is not easy to develop. I think that's one of the uh, most technical <laughs> things you can do with plastic. And we managed to do that through collaboration. So I had one face mask made in the US, one in Europe, and one in Asia. And now you can not only be safe, because that's the main purpose. And huh? when you put the PP-based uh, uh, mask, you did not care if it was plastic or not, right? You want it to be safe. And that's one, one beauty of those uh, solutions. Huh? And now on top, you can be safe and you can also make it with bioplastics, right? So 
this is possible, huh? but we need to continue to push those and, and collaborate. Collaboration for me is a critical one. Yeah. So what is your favorite PLA product where, where you say like, this is my, my most uh, uh, motivating uh, product concept. That's why I'm in the, in the, in the field of PLA and bio-based plastics. Yeah, yeah, there was a bit of a of a, of a cut, so I haven't I haven't heard the last question. So what is your, what is, yeah, what is your what is your most favorite PLA product? Like the one that drives you, like, and you say, okay, that's this is only possible with PLA, or you know, this is why I'm in this industry because you can make such great products. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. Um, I will answer maybe in two levels. The first one is the one I really love, is uh, the one I'm using every day. <laughs> it's my uh, coffee mug, actually. <laughs> and, and, and it is, it, it seems silly as an example, but it's a true example because this is one which is made out of bioplastic, which can go to the dishwasher. So it's, you know, it's uh, as sustainable as a ceramic mug, right? You would use and reuse and reuse, and you know, it's a carbon, which is really a photogenic one. That can that is there every day. So and I, and I care about this mug. Huh? I know it's where it's coming from. I know who made it. So it's it's very important for me. So that's one example. But it's another one, right? I mean, you can do a lot now with PLA that you thought would be not possible before. So that's that's really what is really driving me. Uh, the one I'm really most proud of is really the next one. I mean, uh, what else? You know, bring me a different challenge. Uh, we will try to to think about. The one we're trying to break in at the moment is the one I start mentioning is the non-woven industry. Uh, we, we, before, when we started, nobody thought that we could do non-woven article uh, with PLA. No, we can, right? I mean, we are looking more and more at the 3D printing industry. Uh, we are breaking into durable goods. Uh, we are also thinking about automotive. So all of, all of that are, are, are fields, uh, areas, uh, markets. That when you started uh, in the 1990s, when PLA came, people were thinking, you know, PLA, yeah, you can do what? Uh, maybe you can do uh, this trash bag, yeah? That's it. So that, that's, that is really the, the motto of our industry and the motto of our company. Yeah? Let's try to find the, the, the next frontier. And they are there. I mean, PLA is, again, I'm maybe preaching for my, uh, for my core here, yeah, but... I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, you can really transform PLA in so many manners. I mean, thermoform, extrusion coating, injection molding, um, film, blown film. I mean, I'm impressed by this guy. I mean, this little guy has power. Uh, no, I'm, I'm uh, coming from the sports industry also, and I'm, I'm actually a surfer. Uh, so what I found uh, super uh, fascinating is that because we were looking into you know, different concepts to replace, replace glass fiber. And there is actually uh, woven uh, PLA fibers that you can simply use, you know, with bio-based recyclable epoxies to completely have a bio-based uh, surfboard, which performs also, you know, in marine environment. And then uh, you can just put it back into the compost if you use the, the other components, right? So this one was pretty fascinating. I've, I have never thought that this exists, but I've, I found it two years ago. <laughs> yeah, and we have, uh, I don't know if you if you have looked up some of our press release, but we have actually collaborated uh, with Y. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you've seen that one, yeah? yeah. And it's, it was an impressive uh, project because at the end of the day, we are using even uh, some performance of the PLA, which is even improving the performance of the surfboard. So let me explain what, I, what I'm saying. We are going to put basically the PLA within the core of the surfboard with 3D printed cells. Yeah. So basically, you, you get not a full core, right? You, you, it's like a, a bee nest. Shape. Uh, yeah, honeycomb. Honeycomb, yeah. exactly. Uh, shape, so it's it's super light, but still super um, uh, super strong. And then they would put on top uh, some. It could be recycled glass fiber and so on, so make it completely uh, sustainable. But and the other piece that I discovered talking because I <laughs> I was on holidays. I'm a surfer as well, so I was not far from them. <laughs> so I went to see them. So we had a we had a, a tour. 
And he explained something that I did not know, is that on top, because it's those uh, honeycomb, if you damage your surfboard, you don't have to replace the full core. You can just replace the piece which has been damaged. So not only gives a sustainable option, but actually a more performing uh, option to, uh, to those surfboards. But at the end, you know, I'm, I'm still a beginner, so I could not really use uh, the one that they were selling, but uh, I'm jealous. I'm still learning you know, to use uh, a PLA. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be the next podcast video we're going to do on the beach. That sounds like a good, good follow-up. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks a lot, Thomas. I think uh, this was this was uh, amazing insights. Um, we still have one, one very important question remaining because this is kind of the tradition of plastic climate future. Um, we have, uh, since uh, now two years, we're, we have a playlist on Spotify, the Plastic Climate Future playlist, and uh, we always ask our guests uh, to name one or two songs that either are connected to themselves or maybe to the, to the topic itself or are simply a good music that uh, should be on the playlist. Do you have something for us? Yeah, yeah, I, I, can, uh, I can try. Um, so it's, I think there is a relation with the title to what we're doing and it's, uh, it's basically one of my favorite artists. I went to see him uh, in Montreux not so long ago. So the name of the artist is John Baptiste and the song I would propose is I Need You because uh, as I mentioned, I mean, it's, uh, everything is about collaboration. So I, we need you, you, and we need everybody to really do the right thing. So I think it's, uh, it should meet uh, all of your requirements to being a good song, a good message, uh, and a very good artist. And it's from Montreux. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very good place to be. Uh, I, I used to live in Lausanne for a couple of years. So, so you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, perfect. Um, <clears throat> thanks a lot. I think, um, as I mentioned, we, we, we are super honored to have you here tonight and uh, we're going to look forward to come back to this conversation uh, on the two surfboards out of PLA. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. no, All right, cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks and uh, good luck for, for the video series. It seems that it's working. Thank you.